Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sometimes you have to step back a little bit from the text in the scriptures and sit with the, the author of the letter or the prophecy or the psalm. Just listen to what they have to say about the world in which they were living as they brought forward this truth that has come to be canonized as our scripture. I have every confidence and belief that the Holy Spirit was inspiring those who gave us our scriptures. And I have every confidence that the Holy Spirit continued to inspire those who edited them and brought them along. But I am amazed at how gifted these authors were as storytellers. Mark could have written the gospel in any number of ways. But he wanted to come straight to the point. The earliest versions we have of the Gospel of Mark are just the story of him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and then going through the arguments with the temple officials who were there and then being crucified and killed and then the women finding the empty tomb and fleeing. And it says in Mark, they were greatly afraid for, and that's the last word in the Gospel. In the Greek, gar. They were terrified for some spooky kind of Halloween ending, isn't it, to a, to a gospel? They were terrified. The, the initial news of the, of the resurrection was terrifying news. Mark had not been with the disciples so far as we know. He was not one of the followers that he had come to believe in Jesus through the work of the apostles, through their uh, desire to share the gospel message. So at the beginning, all he wanted to say was, this is the story of how Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and on the third day rose again. The gospel of Jesus. But as the gospel continued, more and more of the teaching of Jesus was included, teaching about discipleship, about how to be a follower of Jesus. The earliest church was not known as Christians. They were known as followers of the way. They were a sect of the Jewish faith. Let me say that again. They were a sect of the Jewish faith. On this, of all Sundays, that's a very important thing to bear in mind. Lest anyone think that a tragedy in a synagogue halfway across the country has nothing to do with us. That was us sitting there in that sanctuary. They're not other. We belong to them by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's put a pin in that. They were known as followers of the way. They had taken up a lifestyle, coming to know Jesus, coming to receive the truth about him, coming to believe in the resurrection, coming to be baptized into the Christian faith, coming to receive the Holy Spirit had 
propel these people into world-changing people. They were known conspicuously not by the doctrine of their faith or by the dogmatics of their confession, but by what they did with their hands and with their feet. It was what they did with their lives that made them so compelling. They were followers of the way of Jesus, the gentle way, the loving way, the forgiving way slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. These were people who, who took these words of their faith not as concepts but as, as a paradigm by which to frame their lives. And they were indiscriminate in the way that they poured out their love. You live across the street from a follower of the way, it's a good day for you. Whether or not you ever joined their little sect, even if you were an enemy who put them down in the coffee store or, or at the water, uh, uh, the water bottle at work, even if you joined in the joking about them and said, these people are, are, are crazy, they're just crazy. If you had a need and you lived across the street from one, they were there for you. They took of their own substance and they gave to others, not measuring out how much they had left or what they didn't have, but what the person that they were helping needed. Such was their confidence in the fullness of their own body, for that's how they saw themselves, as part of the body of Christ. Such was their confidence that if they gave everything they had away and they fell on hard times, they knew that somebody else would come to them from the body and raise them up and sustain them. I hear Mark telling me about this. And I, I see him look up and put his stylus back in the ink pot and roll the parchment up for a minute and say, Pastor, come and, come and sit with me. Grab a cup of coffee. What's on your mind? And I say, Mark, I, I guess I just, I, I don't recognize the church anymore. It doesn't look like what you wrote about. It, it, it has become something else. And the gospel writer says, Pastor, what Sunday is this? What Sunday is this? And I say, it's Reformation Sunday. When we remember that the church which had faithfully carried the gospel through a thousand years of the Middle Ages, had to do a hard reset and come to a different understanding. They'd fallen into habits and patterns that had become detrimental to the message itself. They had continued to confess the Lord, but they had not become followers of the way any longer. It was time for a reformation. And I say, Mark, what are you suggesting? And he says, oh, I never make suggestions anymore. I just tell the marvelous stories of Jesus. Like Bartimaeus, I say, yeah, like Bartimaeus. Or I notice, Mr. Gospel writer, that the whole section of Mark that deals with discipleship, that deals with how to be a follower of the way, that the entire section begins and ends with the healing of a blind man. 
And all through the middle are story after story of how the religious authorities and the curious onlookers and even the disciples themselves are continually beset by a blindness which is making them incapable of seeing what Jesus is really trying to accomplish in the world. Mark is trying to tell all of us that spiritual blindness is every bit as debilitating as physical blindness. Maybe more so. But those who take the name of Jesus but cannot see what he's really about are in many cases dire trouble. And at the very least misguided. The religious authorities had put Bartimaeus on the side of the road. They had declared that because he was blind that he had been a sinner. They had come to equate affliction with sin because we know that God never afflicts anybody but the unrighteous. And there sits Bartimaeus afflicted. So therefore, he must be unrighteous. Bartimaeus, leave the synagogue. You have a flaw. Bartimaeus, get out of here. You're not quite right. Bartimaeus... You started out life as a sighted person, and now you can't see. We don't want to look at you anymore. Sit on the side of the road and beg. Somebody will give you enough money today to get you back to the side of the road tomorrow where you can sit on the side and beg. You are condemned to be a beggar. That's what the religious authorities did. So Jesus comes by. Bartimaeus asked, who is that? Who is that? And they said, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the one who I've heard has been healing people, yes. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David. It's the first time in the Gospel of Mark that phrase is used, son of David. This blind man sitting on the side of the road calls out the name son of David, which is a messianic term. He's one of the first, besides Peter, to say, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you are the son of David, you're the one who's bringing the kingdom of God. He cries it out, and the disciples, Peter especially, I imagine, having been rebuked by Jesus not long after he said, you are the Christ, the disciples, not the religious authorities of the day, but the disciples, the good guys, the guys in the melodrama that you say, yay, when they walk on the stage, they turn to Bartimaeus and say, shush, be quiet. Silence your crying out. And Bartimaeus says, bet me. And he cries out all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. And he says, call him to me. And they run and they say, take heart. He is calling you. And he throws off his cloak and he runs to Jesus. And then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the man simply says, I want to see again. Here on this Reformation Sunday, I resonate so much with Bartimaeus. I believe that Mark, the gospel writer, Put him in the story to speak for anyone anywhere who has begun to suffer from tired faith and disillusionment. We have a word for them in our generation. They're called the de-churched. The, kid the kids whose parents dragged them to church as children and stopped going when they got to high school. 
and whose parents gave up on trying to convince them to go. And so they have just gone off into the world to live their own lives and they don't want anything to do. I'm a spiritual person, I believe in God, but I don't want any of your religion. Have you met some of these people? Have you been one of those people from time to time? Even pastors, you know. For I remember, I remember being at a, a scout camp in my youth, being told to go out and to sit and keep a, a blindfolded vigil sitting on a, on a rock in the middle of Catalina Island up in the, you know, up in the hills there. And they led us out there and they said, wait here for 10 minutes. And the expectation was you'd peel off the blindfold and, and walk back down the trail in 10 minutes. But I didn't have a watch and I was blindfolded and nobody said I could actually do that. So I figured they'd come back and get me later. An hour and 15 minutes later, I found myself starting back down the trail. And it had gone by like that. And I knew exactly where I was without ever looking. When I pulled off the blindfold, it was just a confirmation of what I'd already known. And some of the guys from the camp were coming up and saying, we were about to come and see if you'd fallen off a cliff or something. But I had begun to fall into the arms of God that night. A great preacher, Fred Craddock, talked about giving his life to Christ in a commitment ceremony at a camp. And he said afterward, it looked like somebody had reached up and pulled the stars about 100 light years closer to the earth. Everything had a soft and a beautiful glow about it. And his heart was so full and it was fluttering. And he never felt so close to the eternal as that night. Barbara Brown Taylor, another great preacher of our day, she said that somebody came to her room in college and, and sort of talked her through the sinner's prayer. She said, I wasn't actually sure what had even happened to me, but it felt like cha-ching, and a sale sign came up on the register, and they shoved the door back in, and I was now a Christian in some way. And she thought, I, I was thinking to myself, that was pretty silly. But as I walked around for the next week at school, the ground felt spongier between my beneath my feet and, and everything seemed a little more alive and vivid and she said I realized in that moment that no matter where our heart is when we say yes to God his yes is more powerful and more faithful and God had kept his word you remember those days have you had those days have you sometime in your past when you were so close to the eternal that it made your hair stand up on end, and you didn't think your heart could contain anymore. You just felt like bursting. I think that's why Mark talked about Bartimaeus. Because he was writing to a generation of people who had been followers of the way. And it was getting late. A whole generation was about to pass since Jesus had been resurrected. And some of those in his congregation were starting to say, I wish I could see again. I wish I could see Jesus. I wish I could know him as he was. This is not going to be a sermon that scolds for never opening the scriptures or for never bending the knee in prayer. 
This is a scripture to remind that God has never left us, even when our faith has seemed tired and worn. It's also a sermon to invite us to be ready when Jesus calls us from our spiritual blindedness on the side of the road, to be ready. There are those that I've talked to over the years, and I don't know where they get their ideas on heaven or what it's going to be like, but I think there have been one too many pearly gate stories uh, told. But there are those who think that the first thing that's going to happen in heaven is that God is going to have a big, long list of things that he wants to talk about, about their dating habits in high school, about their drinking habits in college, about their business practices in their 30s and 40s, about the fact that they drove up and dodged the draft while their brothers and sisters were signing up. God's going to have this big, long list of scolds that he's going to talk to them about. There are others who say, forget God's list. I have my own list. God, what about this? And what about that? And what about the other? But this transaction between Jesus and Bartimaeus, I think, throws light on the whole process. When Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? In all of my complaining about the world, in all of my complaining to my friends about my life, in all of my frustrations and all of the stresses that I think I feel, the one thing I've never done is sit down and say, if I had the chance and Jesus asked me, would I know what to ask of him? Would I be ready? Would I be as ready as Bartimaeus? I want to see you again. Done. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. And Bartimaeus, it says, followed him in the way. I, I think Jesus is far more ready to give us the kingdom than we have given him credit for. The problem in our churches today is that we're confused about what it is we want. And today, right now, this could be a day when Jesus is asking, what do, what do you want me to do for you? This is one of those days. I'll tell you what I want. I want the Spirit to fill my heart again with the kind of zeal that I knew for the Lord when I first came to Him. I want to see the world through Christ's eyes again. I want the sound and the roar and the tumult of the world around us to quiet down so that I can be centered in Christ. I want to see Him again the gentle one, the forgiving one, the long-suffering one. I want to see his name given to those who are following him in the way. I want to see the church come alive from the joy of knowing Christ our Lord. It's a frightening thing to say, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus because he's not going to look like what we have pretended he's going to look like. He doesn't line up with the talking points on the left or on the right. 
There's a third way of which he is the pioneer and the perfecter. And when we say open our eyes, then our convenient ways that we shut down every conversation that we get into and we tell them, there, I told you, type something on the internet, hit sin, there, I showed them. All of those things that we have rehearsed and rehearsed so that we can spew that garbage around us, none of it lines up with Jesus anymore when our eyes are opened to him. Oh Lord, I want to see again. I want to see with such, a, with such a gift of sight that I throw my cloak off and I can't wait to follow. Follow in the way that leads to eternal life. Hmm. Jesus stands at the space right next to you and he's ready to ask you a question. What do you, 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 what do you want him to do for you? Have you come today ready with your answer?